Before we get started, I want to thank Anthropology for supporting our podcast. Hello there, I'm Julie Vadnall, Deputy Editor of Domino, and this is Design Time, The Rebellious Ones. If you've listened to this podcast before, you know that we interviewed some of the biggest names in interior design. But this season, I'm doing things a little differently. I'm going to be talking to rebels, the out-of-the-box thinkers who put their creative stamps on our world, whether they work in design, fashion, or even food. After all, you don't have to paint a room all black to be a rebel, though I think that'd be super cool. Some of us engage in tiny acts of resistance every day, and that counts too. Each week, I'll talk to a new guest, a rebellious one, if you will, about how they turn off the doubting voices in their heads and how you can find your only you style. Let's do this. Today's guests are two high-minded individuals. No, really. Together with their company, Houseplant, they make, dare I say, the chicest cannabis accessories on the planet. They have marble ashtrays that are inspired by potato chips and handmade ceramics designed by one of the founders himself. By the way, that ceramicist is also an Emmy-nominated comedian, actor, and producer who I'm sure you're familiar with for his work in movies like Knocked Up and Pineapple Express. Please welcome... Seth Rogen and Mikey Moore to Design Time, The Rebellious Ones. Hello. Welcome, guys. Hi. Great to be here. (laughs) Thank you for having us. The way that we start every podcast is you have to introduce yourself. So please, when it's your turn, say, hi, I'm Mikey Moore. Hi, I'm Seth Rogen, and I am a rebel blank. My name is Mikey Moore, and I am a rebel CEO. There you go. Mm. I'm Seth Rogen. I'm a rebel designer and founder. I guess. I'm not really, I'm honestly not that, I mean, I'm sort of, I don't know. The really awkward thing that we should just air out right now is we actually follow the rules probably we follow closer the rules and better probably than, more than anybody yeah. in this industry. I was going to say, in your industry, that I might be I can say hard. I follow a lot more rules in this business than we do in our movie business. No, seriously, though, because that, that is always my follow-up question to this. I think you're rebellious in the company that you've made. The things you design are very different than what people might expect. So do you think you're rebels in that aspect? I feel like in general, we are rebelling, I guess, like what has been kind of weed culture as it is viewed in the mainstream for the last maybe 40, 45 years. I smoke weed all day, every day, and I'm a functional member of society. I have deep, meaningful relationships (laughs) with people and animals. And I like nice things. And I like things that reflect my sensibilities, my personality, the art I like, the design I like. And so I guess that's something we very purposely have tried to rebel against is one's idea of someone who smokes weed is and and what those people might like or want and what types of people those people are. Because the truth is, they're not any type of person. Right. And it's something that deserves the highest level of thought, because that's also something we've rebelled against, was that it feels like things for people who smoke weed have maybe had less thought put into them, because maybe the people making them feel as though the consumer requires less thought. So stoners can have style, is what you're saying. Yeah, and I think... Stoners can have nice things and stoners want nice things. And just because you smoke a lot of weed or you have friends who smoke weed or you like to host people who smoke weed, it doesn't mean that you don't want your things to reflect your sensibility in the same way you'd want your furniture, your paints, your wallpaper, your clothing, 
whatever other things you surround yourself with that represents who you are as well. You yeah. Know? I mean, cannabis is already part of culture and society, and it's as if society was pushing it into this box to be treated differently when yeah. it, mm-hmm. it really should not be. Yeah. I want to hear the origin story of how you guys met. Oh, Michael, when did it all happen? <laughs> it was a rainy day in Vancouver. Exactly. And... <laughs> it probably was a rainy day. <laughs> well, uh, Seth and his best friend and partner, Evan Goldberg, is my cousin. Yes. So I've known Evan my entire life, and I've known Seth for probably 25 years at this point. Yeah, I met Evan in bar mitzvah class, and so I've known him since I was 12. And uh, yeah, so like 18 years now. And yeah, I met Mikey soon after that. We're always friends. I was also good friends with uh, his sister always and his whole family I knew. We've been in each other's lives almost as long as we can remember. And, and he went and pursued a very successful career in finance and real estate and hotels and things like that. And we were making movies. And honestly, we always talked about it would be wonderful to find a way to like work together on something because I think it's one of the things you learn is you do just spend more time often with the people you work with. And it's a good reason to work with people you really like. And we eventually found something. <laughs> so why was it design? Like, when did each of you get into design? Because this company is so design driven. When you think about like an ashtray is not just an ashtray at Houseplant. Like, it's also a lamp. It's also <laughs> a vase. It's so cool. So when did you guys get into design? I've always liked objects. <laughs> and I've always been into architecture and design and materials. And it's just always kind of been in fashion clothes. There's always just kind of been part of the fabric of my life. And I got to really put that to more commercial use when I ran a real estate fund and we got into boutique hotels and we would be acquiring hotels and reconcepting them, coming up with the personality and thinking through the consumer journey, both through the digital space, all the way through the tactile, like in, in room experience. And yeah, that's kind of been my journey. And it was just obvious to us that what we were going to do here would that it's part of us, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think, Seth, people may not realize your artistic abilities. So how did you get into design? I mean, it's something I've always loved. Yeah, like I was a kid who collected things. I was into comic books, and I think that kind of leads to like a collector's mentality in a lot of ways. And at the same time, I always, like, if you asked me when I was a kid what I wanted to be, I wanted to be an artist, and I just am not a very good drawer or painter and those were kind of the only things I'd try like and I really drew a lot and I painted a lot and it was something that I always pursued and then it was kind of a convergence of many things in my life when we made this movie this is the end it's all set in like a house and as the director of the film you design the house and mm-hmm. that was actually one of the real first experiences that we had like having full kind of visual design control over a really large space. And we reached out to artists we like, and that actually became a big part of the movie is like they barricade themselves in the house, like with the art. So getting to know all these different people in design and art and furniture world, but it was really eye opening, And it was the first time I kind of like unabashedly handed myself over to like liking it, you know? And I think it's something I always liked architecture and design. And, but I don't know, maybe some part of me was like, I shouldn't admit that I secretly really love this stuff. And then when I made that movie, it allowed me to just kind of really indulge in it. And then in my own life, you know, I built a house, me and my wife, we just started doing this stuff in our own life. And I started taking pottery and I started making actual things that I wanted. And like the best ideas I've seen throughout my life, it really was a convergence of many, many things. And it's great. But yeah, with this, it was like, 
a love of design, a love of weed, a kind of slow realization that we could communicate very effectively with people who smoked weed because we were those people and we maybe had put more thought into it than almost anyone who was alive on the planet. <laughs> and then I started doing pottery with my wife, Lauren, and I sat down to make something and I made an ashtray that really was like designed to the specifications of like what I was kind of looking for in an ashtray. And all these things kind of converged. And it, while we were rolling out Houseplant in America and it led us to having like a design company, basically. Yeah. It all, we were designing these uh, home goods. Yeah. It all came together really perfectly as we were you know, students of cannabis, of the industry, and trying to project how we thought it was going to play out and identifying what the challenges to scale were for an industry where cannabis is still a schedule one narcotic at the federal level and was only, you know, very slowly rolling out to new markets in the U.S. legally. And we were thinking about how we could approach this in a different way and how we could come up with a strategy to go and acquire consumers in every single state day one when others are prohibited from doing so or aren't able to come up with the right strategy. And it just fortuitously came together that, hey, we want these nice things. And there's a whole country out there, people who are likely to want these as well. Yeah. When I think about going to states where it is legal and like you go into the stores and they're like so loud and the guys are like, mm. Very, they're either intense or the exact opposite, but like, it's just not a fun experience. And I find your branding to be so cool that you might not even know that you were shopping for a cannabis product. Tell me about the overall design and marketing. Like, I just think it's so chic. The colors are so good. It's just so beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, a lot of what we talk about is kind of destigmatizing, mm -hmm. you know, weed and weed culture. Many years, you know, maybe almost 10 years ago at this point, I made this movie about Apple computers and I mm -hmm. played Steve Wozniak and I got to know him a little bit, which was very cool. And one of the things he talked a lot about was how everyone was afraid of computers. And a lot of what Apple was doing was kind of letting people know that, like, you don't have to be afraid of these things. They're helpful. They're useful. They're tools. And even if you don't understand how yet, there's probably a way that you could use this in your life. And that's literally almost word for word the same conversations we have about weed and the things surrounding it. It scares a lot of people. It's been stigmatized. And so you're working against that. Yeah. And so a lot of what we're doing is trying to, like we're saying, kind of treat it like the best products out there. And I think that both consciously and subconsciously tells people that it is not like what they've been told it is. Because... If it was made by idiots, if the people who smoked weed were lazy, how would they have put so much time and energy into these products and into the packaging and into right. the design? And I think it just, it's like a proof is in the pudding thing. It's like by the nature of its existence in the state that we are trying to have it exist in, which is like a very high-end, well-thought-out, well-considered state, it kind of automatically is breaking these stigmas that go along with weed generally. Yeah, that's something that we've talked a lot about. And it's why we are like, it can't just have like good packaging. It has to have great packaging. It can't just be like pretty nice. It has to be really nice because people are expecting pretty nice at best. They're not expecting right, really right. nice. And no one's expecting it to be like maybe the nicest 
packaged thing they've ever bought, which I think it is for many people who have bought our products, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that's nice. And I think it's very validating in a lot of ways. And I think people have like, at times, like an emotional experience with it because it's telling them that just because they smoke weed and they want an ashtray, it doesn't mean that they're like some person who deserves lesser than things than other people. Yeah, I want you to talk about that ashtray that you were just showing. It's so smart. It looks like a cup, but then there's yeah. like a little notch where you can like put a J. And then why is it a cup? Why is it so tall? Most ashtrays are very short. That was really born of having a lot of ashtrays and finding that they just didn't function in a way that was conducive to my lifestyle because it's kind of cup shaped. It does a few things. You can leave like a few roaches in it and they're out of sight. You don't see them. They're sitting at the bottom unless you're like standing directly over it, staring down into <laughs> it. It doesn't look like it's dirty or been used. Also, like wind is a big problem. If you walk by like an ashtray that's kind of more dish shaped, there's nothing keeping the actual ash in and ash is incredibly light. And the thing I find is if you open a window, if you literally like put a book down, on the table too hard beside it. It will blow yeah. ash everywhere. And that was just a thing I was constantly dealing with is my dog would run by. She has a long tail. It would just blow ash everywhere, things like that. <laughs> and this really protects it. And then just having like a perfect little notch to rest it just seemed very intuitive because I didn't want to like leave it in there. You don't want to like be fishing around inside of it. It was nice to have the joint separate from the disposal place. It kind of created like two separate areas of the ashtray itself, which also just felt kind of intuitive to me. So I think it was one of those things that it looks simple, but we put a bizarre amount of thought into it. Do you have a store in your life that whenever you walk through its doors, you become transported, inspired, and overwhelmed with pure joy? For me, that place is anthropology. Since college, I've bought candles, pillows, and dinnerware, literally you name it, from their cool, hyper-curated mix. And those are the pieces I've cherished for years. Nowadays, when I look at my vintage sofa and see the pink, lavender, and mustard-colored fuzzy anthro pillow on top of it, I feel the same giddy feeling I did when I first found it at Anthropology's Chelsea Market store. That's the amazing thing about anthropology. It's nostalgic and forward-looking all at once. And as the holiday season approaches, I can't wait to wow my guests with only at Anthro pieces for hosting, celebrating, and entertaining. I'm clearly not alone. Anthro has hundreds of stores, millions of social followers, and a website that has new arrivals literally every day. Get inspired and start shopping at anthropology.com. Something I didn't picture in my head, but then when I saw it, is your office. It's so beautiful. I'm wondering, like, all your products seem to fit perfectly within it. Like, what was on your Pinterest board for that office? Or even, like, with the <laughs> – do you guys pin? Are you pinners? I, ha I have pinned at one point in my life. I've, I have pinned. Uh, I'm not really a pinner. I've pinned as well. I've, I've pinned a, a few uh -huh. times here and there. You're never yeah. stuck. <laughs> We're not I'm a little uh, more analog. I, I do. Yeah. I, I screen grab. I do a lot of screen grabbing and emailing. I'll oh, okay. like just do a lot of texting, lot of texting and Google searching. I literally buy magazines and cut pictures out of them still as well. 
Yeah, early days. We, I mean, we used to do a lot of like crafts, yeah. crafts and yeah. exactly. cutting and pasting and yeah. But for the office, again, like much of Houseplant, it was very just organic. Like a lot of the objects in that house from our houses, from, yeah. <laughs> that's home, my home, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that that like yeah, I, there's a hutch in there that is my grandparents' oh, hutch. Cool. It really started with us, and then you know started to get filled out some of the objects that we were making, and there's a whole wall of. Uh, vintage ashtrays it's part of our vintage ashtray collection we think we uh, have the world's largest vintage debatably the i mean yeah. i don't know anyone I don't know, I don't know how many people yeah. are vying for that yeah <laughs> i say it like it's a real accomplishment where do you yeah. find them just like at flea markets or do people send them to you now we do get them as gifts uh -huh. now we buy a lot of that we buy some online we have made like physical expeditions to mm. like palm springs and places <laughs> like that i picked up a couple in Italy, in Italy, yeah, you I got some great ones in Italy. Again. If I'm ever in an yeah. near an antique shop, I'll go and look at their ashtrays. Cool. Is there a place in the world that you go to where you're like, God, I wish they had more houseplant here? Like, you could give a glow up, like, with your products? <laughs> I don't know. I wish... I wish everyone could have more houseplant, but... <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, countries where they are still... You know, where cigarettes are still yeah, exactly. uh, in, in high yeah. circulation, I would say, yeah. publicly. They could really up their ashtray so game, Paris typically. Yeah, saying. exactly. Yeah. We're looking at you, Paris. Yeah, we're talking about yeah. you, Paris. I have kind of a practical question for you guys. Again, we are all about homes, and I'm wondering if there's a good way to get the smell of weed out of your home quickly. It really doesn't linger. I would just... Yeah. Open the windows and, you know, if you have to light a light a scented candle, then light a scented candle. But I'd say uh, in general, I'm I am more amazed at how much my house does not smell like weed than how much <laughs> it does smell like weed. <laughs> Do you guys make a candle? Uh, it's something we've uh, maybe we're prototyping. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I started making uh, like my own scented candles oh. and it was just something I started giving as gifts to people is I started buying, you know, oils and, and pouring them into these little cups I was making essentially. And again, it was something that, yeah, that just, I started doing and the people I was giving them to were really responding to them. And so we thought, oh, maybe, uh, maybe people will like these. What do you call that style of ceramics? Like, so I know on the site they're called like. Gloop. Gloopy gloop. Gloop. Yeah. Be, I would call it gloopy. Gloop. Gloopy. <laughs> is that something you invented? Like, you know, is this like, I had not seen anything like that. And when I first saw your ceramics, I was like, that is so weird and so cool. <laughs> Thanks. But now it's like a signature. Yeah. Like, and I think about you and the brand with that style. So what, how did you come to that? It's something that I, I didn't invent it. It is a glazing technique that existed prior to me. Mm -hmm. The recipe that we primarily use is one that I did make through my own like glaze experimentation because I took an online glaze making work. It's not a glaze that's available commercially. If you want to use it, you have to make it yourself, essentially. And in order to okay. do that, you need to know how to make glaze. And it was a look I was kind of had in my head and was trying to achieve, but I couldn't do it by buying glaze so me and lauren uh, took a glaze making workshop she had another type of glaze she was trying to do and we learned to make our own glazes and in that workshop they teach you how to kind of experiment with glaze recipes and replace ingredients and remove ingredients and it was kind of on that pursuit that i arrived at this gloopy glaze recipe <laughs> i have another practical question which is weed storage when I think of weed storage, I think of like, so like kids don't get into it or like your dog doesn't get into it. Like, do you have any products like that? Or is that something like 
what's your advice there? Well, what's funny is like, you have to smoke weed in order to feel it. We have talked a lot about like, do we need some sort of like locker for weed? And in my head, I'm always like, people don't lock up their alcohol for the most part. Some people do, but 99% of the homes I go to don't like, their alcohol is just out. There's beer in the fridge, you know? And so this idea that weed is this like, terrifying thing that needs to be secreted away and kept behind lock and key to me honestly is something i just truthfully don't understand oh my gosh that's funny that you say that because i've always thought that about like alcohol to me is so much worse for you yeah way worse we have like you know rose o'clock shirts or whatever it always seemed odd to me that weed had this stigma when it like just shouldn't Oh, yeah. It's not, yeah, it's not just odd and happenstance, I would say. There's a whole <laughs> infrastructure that's uh, pushing for that to be the case and, and remain the case. Uh, this, this country yeah. has been at a war on drugs uh, officially for over 50 years now, and it's really unfortunate. Well, I did want to ask you guys, so, I mean, we all are aware of, you know, the inequalities in weed, and you're starting this, like, young, fun, hip company So how do you keep that in mind, like your social responsibility? How do you balance that in your company? By just being very truthful to who we are and to the, how we feel about the reality of the situation. You know, we financially support institutions that, Mm -hmm. you know, have exactly what you're talking about as their prime agenda. And, and we constantly are talking about how incredibly terrible America's position on weed still is, how it's completely rooted in racism, how the only reason weed is illegal is racism, and the only reason alcohol was allowed to flourish in the way it has is money, and that it, truthfully, there's no science or logic to support why alcohol is so commonplace and why weed is so stigmatized, except for racism. That is the answer. It's, again, it's not some mystery. It is... It's, it's the truth. Look up Harry and Slinger. A lot of the answers lie with yeah, that man. Yeah. And so it's something that we just need to constantly talk about, constantly remind people of and speak the truth of. And But that's not mm-hmm. enough. We also very much tangible work with uh, institutions that, again, like further that agenda. Yeah. Expungement is a, has been an area of focus for us for a number of years now. We have an in-house program where we have helped entrepreneurs in the cannabis industry who are facing challenges beyond those that all cannabis entrepreneurs face. And our team uh, works with our in-house mentees to overcome some of their business challenges to further their pursuits. And then, you know, we work with the regulators to really push them and force them to take these issues on and to be done correctly. I've been to Washington to meet with senators, representatives, Seth and I have. I was literally uh, chewing Chuck Schumer's ear off about this in person uh, like three days ago, because again, (laughs) they have measures and they're trying, but it's not nearly far enough and it just needs to be federally legalized. And I think what a lot of people don't understand is like, there's a reason that alcohol that there's not a thriving illegal alcohol market. And that's because you are in no way incentivized to participate in that as a retailer of alcohol. And until that exact same thing can be said for weed, not enough has been done. And it's still, crim- a lot of the activities around it are still criminalized for no reason, you know? And so, well, there is a reason. It's for racism and to support the prison industrial complex. But that being said, there are tons of people who even live in states where weed is illegal, who smoke weed and love weed and deserve to have nice things. And there are people who live in California who can buy our weed and know they're supporting a company that has the ideals that we're talking about. And I think that truthfully, things 
like us talking about it, the more culturally acceptable it becomes, the more destigmatized it comes, the more people understand that it's not some scary evil drug, the more progress can be made, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I was thinking that you do sell a lot of products that are not even, you know, you sell records and a record player and you can buy a vase on your website. You don't have to smoke weed to shop at Houseplant. Do you guys see yourself expanding into those housewares? It's definitely something we've talked a lot about in things like our scented candles, you know, that we've that we've mentioned, I think would be very appealing to people mm -hmm. who don't <laughs> smoke weed as well. And I even think a lot of our products, even if you don't smoke weed, hopefully if it becomes as culturally acceptable as it should be, you might want them anyway. Like I don't drink, but I have corkscrews. I have a martini shaker for some insane reason. I have, you know, a whole little yeah. bar set up because when I have friends who drink come over, I like to be a good host. And I think the idea of hosting people who smoke weed is less and less weird, less and less stigmatized. And the idea of providing them with like an ashtray or a nice lighter rather than like a mug or whatever <laughs> they're using the ash in might be something that you, uh, that you might want to do. Again, if it speaks to your sensibility, just like anybody else, if that's the type of thing that you like to do as, as a host. Yeah, I mean, you have <laughs> that are we lighters. Did. Like, you've really just Try to make it easy all the for problems. People. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> How do you guys recharge when you're not being rebels and, you know, talking to Chuck Schumer or not designing some insane new thing that I definitely need? Like, what do, do you pottery. guys do? To <laughs> I, I, I do pottery. <laughs> pottery, okay. I go home and, and play with my <laughs> two-year-old and four-year-old, which is a great way to unwind and disconnect, said no one ever. It said no one ever, yeah, really <laughs> relaxing, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I get, I get outdoors, I hike, I surf. Is there a piece of advice that you'd give to your fellow design rebels or maybe aspiring rebels? I don't know. I mean, the advice I give people who are going to embark on like writing a movie or something like that, um, and I think it applies to a lot of things, is like whenever you're doing something that you really are about to put a lot of time and energy and resources into, I think you have to really like it. Like you have to personally love it. And because if you don't, it'll just become a bummer and it'll probably not be very good. And I think like that's something I talk to a lot of people who like will come pitch me a movie and it's clear they think like they don't love it, but they think maybe it'll sell. Or they think like, oh, this I heard Netflix is looking for this kind of thing or maybe it could fit into this type of trend that's happening. And I'm always like, by the time this thing gets made, like, none of those things might exist anymore. So like that trend might be over. Netflix might be gone. So it better be a movie that you really like. And because if you're playing too much to people's expectations and hopes, like you'll lose the thread. And with this, I think that's been like guiding light. And I think part of the reason that people like it so much is they can tell that we really like it. And they can tell that it's born of our taste and our desires and our necessities, you know, and that makes it easy when it's hard is if you really like something, it's more of a pleasure to spend a yeah. lot of time. So I should scrap that TikTok movie. It, you know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I don't know. Sounds good. I don't yeah, unless love you it. Love it. <laughs> unless you love it. <laughs> well, is there something like along the way, like that someone told you not to do, but you did it anyway with this company that they were like, people will never buy that or a certain item that 
I had people tell me not to do this company uh, specifically. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that counts. <laughs> Why? Because they just thought that, you know, people wouldn't get it or? Because cannabis as an industry is a challenging one. And, and again, it, it, weed is still illegal at the federal level. So that adds a, a whole nother layer to everything that you, you do, a whole nother set of challenges. Yeah. Do you guys think it ever will be federally legal in our in our lifetime? Yeah. Yeah. I think in our lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully. <laughs> I think so. I think what do you think, I think next? Not as uh, not as quickly as it should be. I can tell you that for certain. Not as quickly and as it should be. It's yeah. not like there will be different phases of change ahead of comprehensive cannabis reform at the federal level that will create more opportunity within the category for growth, I would mm -hmm. say. Yeah. I want to ask you a final question before we get into the Never Have I Evers, but what is your next act of rebellion, each of you? My next act of rebellion? Man, I don't know. What is my next act of rebellion? I was going to go get some coffee and have How lunch. Dare me. Act of rebellion? <laughs> <laughs> Against fatigue and hunger, it is. <laughs> okay. Anyway. Never Have I Ever is a game we play with every guest. I'm going to read the prompt, and you guys are going to have to say if you have done them or not. So, the first one is, never have I ever lied and said a bong was actually a vase. Huh? I have never done that. Either. I've never done that. You're just honest? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Never have I ever cried while building IKEA furniture. I never have because I'm actually very good at building IKEA furniture, and I kind of. And I never have because I have Seth build my IKEA furniture. <laughs> <laughs> and Seth is just crying tears of joy. <laughs> All right, never have I ever bought a piece of decor with a phrase on it. I did this recently. Oh, what was it? Um, it was. Live, laugh, love. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was a piece of uh, original art by Justin Bieber that says yeah. <laughs> that says not today satan <laughs> wait i'm sorry you have to explain <laughs> i may or may not be the largest collector of justin bieber art we owed both the most ashtrays of the world and the most uh, justin bieber paintings of the world and he really painted you that not specifically for okay, me it was it. a message that he was putting out into the world but i did acquire that piece wow okay never have i ever arranged my books by color you know, I might have like a couple books on, on my uh, side table that are there. I think they maybe coincidentally wound up there, but then I noticed they were the same, that they were complementary colors, and I was like, I'm going to leave them there. <laughs> what about you, Mikey? Yeah, n never in my home, but at some of our yeah. hotel, we would think about that type of merchandising. And there are actually companies out there that you can buy like sets of books color, in color what books. colors yeah. you want them in. Yeah. I've heard that. Never have I ever shopped at Home Goods. What is that? Is that a website? It's a store, but Seth, that, I got to say, this kind of warms my heart because someone else asked that too, what it was. It's a houseware store where they have like discounted pillows, cookware, but like a lot of, I would say, ugh, I'm going to stereotype here, but like suburban moms really love it like my mom loves home goods is it chuggy yeah, would you describe yeah, it as yeah, chuggy yeah. that's a great <laughs> it's chuggy but it's kind of addictive it's like you get in there and you're like i need everything it just kind of like sucks you in oh, wow but it, okay you've never been there mikey have you no i don't think i have oh guys okay well no field trip maybe sorry like in... yeah i'm looking on their website right now Ooh, they have geodes giant rocks 
I mean. <laughs> the idea <laughs> shop. Yeah, exactly. Ooh, I like the idea shop. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just want to thank you guys for being on and just say that when we started, you know, coming up with the concept for this podcast, it was Rebels. And I was like, I want to talk to people who you wouldn't necessarily think have a hand in the design world. And the first person that I ever said I wanted was you, Seth. So when I got the email that you guys were going to do this, I screamed a little. I was like so excited because (laughs) I was like, this is exactly how I want this podcast to be, the type of people I want to have on it. So this is like such a big moment for me and for us. And I just want to say thanks. Thank you for having us. A real pleasure to be here. When I found out that I was doing this podcast, my one and really only request in the whole process was that Shadi Al-Hindi, the head of IT at our parent company, Recurrent, read the closing credits. And I know that might sound funny, but Shadi has a voice that I swear could sue the 100 crying babies. And I know this because sometimes when my computer's not working, I am that crying baby. And just hearing him talk instantly lowers my blood pressure. You will hear what I mean in just a second. I'm so excited to share Shadi and his beautiful voice with the world. Take it away, Shadi. Hello, I'm Shadi Al-Hindi, and contrary to popular belief, I'm not a voiceover actor, yet at least. But I am the Vice President of Technology at Recurrent, Domino's parent company. Julie asked me to read the credits to the podcast you've just heard. I blindly said yes, so I think that makes me a rebel too. And here we are. Design Time, The Rebellious Ones is hosted by Julie Fadnall and produced by Ali Alquiza, with special thanks to Lindsay Mather, Britt Ashcraft, Claire Urshishon, Michaela Klein, Kim Gray, Lindsay DeSimone, and Maria Luna. Our Chief Content Officer is Kate Berry. Our theme music is by the talented Alex Weinstein. And I'm Shadi Al-Hindi, Vice President of Technology at Recurrent Ventures. If you like this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. See you all next week, right here on Design Time, The Rebellious Ones.